Welcome to the Everyday Citizens Tactical Podcast, Episode 25, Contingency Company. My name is Jeremy and I will be your host. Today I'm joined by one of the co-founders of Contingency Company, which most of you probably know as a modern-day patriot. Today we discuss civilian training, community, and the infamous industry we know as the firearms world. So, without further delay, let's dive in. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder yeah. Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward no. Strength in numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder yeah. Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward And welcome back to the podcast, guys, and Maverick, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me, man. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Uh, so yeah, your your Instagram handle, which everyone probably knows you by, is a modern-day patriot. Uh, so for those yes, that sir. don't don't really know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, my name is Maverick. Um, as Jeremy said, I go by uh, a modern-day patriot on Instagram. Um. I am a, I'm finishing up grad school. I'm a pastor. Um, I work in the construction litigation industry and, uh, I am a two A advocate and a, uh, civilian prepper, uh, just looking to better my community and those around me. Awesome. And you, uh, you and another guy, if I remember correctly, just launched contingency coalition a little over a month ago, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's a uh, contingency company, but um, contingency company. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, but contingency coalition sounds actually way cooler. So we might have to talk about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we launched it about a month ago. We were both kind of pursuing this journey of preparedness, um, and I guess kind of to create information that can better equip our fellow citizens and civilians to be more capable Minutemen. Um, and we really want to do that through media and uh, through the platforms that we can use at our disposal. Nice. I like that you use the term Minuteman, and it's not just because, like, with me and ECT that I've been yeah. using Minuteman since, like, 2020, but I think at this point, Minuteman has, like, a little bit, uh, how would I call it? I would say more of, like, a multi-purpose. Like a yeah, it has, if, if it sounds like it has more purpose. Like, yeah. when, I th- when I think like militia or anything like that. I think of guys that like all they think about is like the, the fighting aspect of all of it. But when I think of Minuteman, I think of kind of the culture we're in right now where it's not just kit and rifle, but it's also CCW it's fitness. Yeah. It's comms. Like it, it Being seems well-rounded. more well-rounded. It sounds purpose driven in a sense, like For almost sure. like there's a, like a, a moral principle to it in a sense. So I, I like that that's become, kind of yeah go to in a sense yeah i do too you know i think it's a it's a pretty cool term especially when you treat it like a uh, I, I i would say don't let it become your personality but it's definitely like an identity sure. right like um you know it's i think you and i could be both in the same boat that we're both feel like we both feel like we're, we're uh, called for a higher purpose for protecting people mm-hmm. and things like that and i think that uh, the minimum instinct or whatever you want to call it really drives from that um and it's, and it's decentralized yeah. too who is the Minuteman? Yeah. Everybody is the Minuteman. For sure. Exactly. It, it's something that's applicable to everybody. Yeah. And that's kind of like, like for us with the Minuteman patches, that's why I created that patch was like, it was kind of something for people to kind of get behind when the whole community group stuff kind of started coming back around, but it didn't tie you to any one location or one, any one group name. Like it, like you, you just, everyone's just the Minuteman and that's just, yeah. Yeah. And I think decentralized is good. I would agree too. That keeps all the uh, uh, the perusing uh, officials from coming onto your doorstep. So, for sure. So where where did you kind of start in your preparedness journey and kind of your training journey? Um. So I guess like when I was like a kid, I was always into like preparedness. I always thought like the zombies would come one day, things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But then you just realize like zombies are just like the ATF and the rest of the government. So, um, <laughs> but uh, no, honestly, I'd say I started honestly a few years ago. I've been I started with shooting at JTAC Ranch. Uh, that's mm-hmm. basically my home. Um, started shooting about two and a half, three years ago now. And then a year after that is when I really started getting into the whole preparedness thing. I think it was like 
I've always been two way minded, um, you know, very, I don't want to say anti-government, but, um, you know, just independently minded, I would say. And sure. then after COVID, it really kind of hit me that like the only person that has the best interest for you and your family is yourself. It's um, crazy. And how... it, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, it, no. I was just saying then the community that you make around yourself. It's crazy how it's, there's a consistency to most of the people that come on here or even just the people I talk to in everyday life. It's that somewhere in someone's thought process, the phrase comes, oh, in 2020, I started because X, Y, Z. Like 2020 just hit us so uniquely. Yeah, you know, it was something that's like no one's, I mean, in our lifetime that we've ever experienced before. I mean, we've experienced disasters like Katrina and 9-11, all these other things. Um, but this is pretty weird because it was like you're just locked in your home and you have to do what everybody tells you. Mm-hmm. There's not enough information surrounding any topics. Um, you don't really know who to trust. Um, and then everything that you do here on, like, on the mainstream media ends up being completely opposite of what's true. Mm-hmm. And then so the, it's just mean, like a big psyop. That <laughs> and going the riots for, alone. Like I've talked about oh my it on here. People, I don't think people truly realize how extreme the riots were in the U.S. in 2020. Like, they weren't just week-long riots. Like, there were riots from essentially, you know, I think it was well, like, the end of April like, to, like, October. I'd say, like, I would have never expected or believed that something like the Chaz would happen in my lifetime. Yeah, there, there was multiple. a literal, like, hostile takeover of a U.S. Yeah. city. Like, that is crazy to think about um, going back then. And, and then, you know, life just progresses like almost almost if nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's really how, like, weird. It's, the, it's, it's all part of the big game. Like, as the election comes and goes, so do the problems. And it just gets worse yeah. every election cycle. I'll tell you what, though. I thought, like, my biggest takeaway from it was, uh, like, I say two things. Was one, seeing how fragile our society actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and how quick people are resort are willing to resort to violence. I mean, you have stories of people killing each other with toilet paper, crazy stuff um, that was happening. Mm-hmm. And I'd say the other thing was just seeing like how people on the opposite side of the aisle, like a lot of uh, liberal friends that I had, oh, do you know where I can get a gun? You know where I can get you know X, Y, and Z and stuff to prepare for this. And then you give them all the information, and it seems like okay, now they're starting to kind of wake up to the idea that. Um, that, hey, maybe we should start taking our own preparedness, our own self-defense, like, a little bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. And then a couple years down the line, it's, like, back to voting the same way they did. Sure. Yeah. People are definitely quick to forget. Yeah. For, for really just about anything. Um, for sure. But, so I kind of want to, this is the, the main thing I want to dive into with you is, like, civilian training kind of the community movement we see going on and all that kind of stuff. So just general ballpark explanation and thoughts, both the good and bad. What are your thoughts over the past year of kind of these regional or community-based groups that are just popping up? And they're everywhere. Um, so as you say, like, uh, like the Appalachian Rangers? Yeah, like Appalachian uh, Rangers, the yeah. PMR, New England Minutemen, like just all of these groups. Yeah, I think it's I think it's awesome. I think it's you know, I think it's a good way for people to help out local law enforcement, especially in times of disaster. I mean, why not get together as a community and be able to help each other? I think the biggest thing is just uh, I always say there's a fine line between being a Minuteman and a Marauder. Mm-hmm. So just make sure that you're you know everybody's morals are checking out and that they're not taking advantage of people and that they have a strong code of ethics to hold to that because mm-hmm. you know it's very easy to uh i don't want to say utilize your training for nefarious purposes but that does happen sure yeah i think uh i and even even past that we could talk about aiding law enforcement or fire yeah. or whatever during specifically stuff like humanitarian and natural disaster stuff but even like stepping up into that role to protect families and communities in the absence of local security forces. Right. Like, I I mean, like, like, or don't like cops that, that, that question aside, people in those roles, if we're talking about some sort of, uh, like, uh, 
socialist uprising of the sorts that a lot of us fear may happen, the local your local law enforcement are only going to stick around for so long. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, like eventually, you reach a point where the local threat is so militarized in a sense that it they just like, well, I'm not doing this anymore. It's not it's not worth my life. Well, I mean, it's considering a, a, that basic people outnumber law enforcement and the military by a significant amount. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. They, they, you can only keep people in line for so long. And then there's the whole conversation of well, what happens when those guys aren't on our side anymore. Yeah. And then it really, and it really boils down to everybody that's been training and has good morals, character, and the willingness to uphold the law. Mm-hmm. You know, at and least the Constitution. I was to say the Constitution, but then just I think morality as a whole. I really yeah. like to lean back onto morality and principle and the thought of all of this, because all of our the Constitution, you know, a lot of laws that are just and so on and so forth come from the morality of faith or just the morality of man throughout time. Yeah. Uh, And that's like that question I posted uh, yesterday as of the time of this recording from uh, op for consultation. He, uh, he made that question about, uh, you know, when is family a hindrance to training or preparedness? Dude, I saw that. I saw that. And that was a really like, it was a thought provoking statement. It Um, was. For sure, because, you know, and I always go back to the Patriot where uh, they quote, it's like, you know, wars aren't aren't only fought by childish, uh, childish men. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, yeah, you know, at the end of the at the end of the day, if you're going to stand for something, then stand for something. And you have to be able to be prepared for what that's going to bring you. I mean, whether if it's just taking like a political stand versus like the vaccine lockdowns and losing your job. I mean, that's, you know, a lot of people did that and, have, and that was affected in that way. Um, and then, you know, or even if it was to come to something more physically harmful, um, you know, I, I always go back and I'm always inspired by, um, the martyrs of faith being a pastor, you know, I'm always, always inspired by those guys and like even Coptic Christians in Egypt or in Syria where they're being burned alive in cages for their faith because they're choosing to stand for something that's greater than themselves and it you know, costs them everything. This is off topic, off topic. But have you been following the genocide of Christians in India? I have not. I have been following what's been going on in Egypt and in Syria for a while, but I haven't seen what's been happening in India. Oh, it's brutal, dude. Yeah, I'd imagine so. I mean, it's it's really. I don't know what, and this is very recent too. I don't know what just flipped on a dime, but I mean, there's entire towns worth of genocide of just Christian people. It's crazy. Yep. The world's a crazy yep. place. Yeah, the world, world is a very deadly place. Outside, like people, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be able to travel, um, whether it's through ministry or humanitarian, uh, humanitarian trips throughout the, the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is no place like the U.S. No, and not Every time not I come back, I'm just so thankful to be here. Yeah. Because it's, even- it's just crazy how, yeah, it's just, it's just nuts. Like thinking about like how everything is so cited against you in these other places. And if you were to like speak out and not even have the ability to say what you want to think, I mean, even in Canada, you can't even really speak out against the government. No. And that was going to be my next point is even places like Australia and Germany and Canada, like other first world nations that you used to be able to go to. And you're like, oh, this is kind of like the U.S. It's not like that anymore, because if if their country isn't in complete degradation due to, you know, an uncontrolled amount of immigration or illegal immigration it, their governments are just cracking canada our neighbor i mean they're in crisis mode up there when it comes to government overreach oh yeah for sure i mean uh but they've been like that i mean i've had uh like pastor friends is telling me that they always had to be careful about what they said about in public i mean look at going back to covid that pastor was arrested for keeping his his doors open mm-hmm. you know for his church open and nothing has ever come out of that since you know, he went to jail, and then that's the last time, last thing I heard about it. I wonder, you know, and that's that's legit persecution. I wonder what it's like in Australia now, and like what the people think because Australia was brutal during the COVID lockdowns. I, I, they had those. They they didn't want to admit it, but they had those internment camps going on over there for a minute. Yeah, they had camps, and, and there were yeah, there were legitimate videos that came out of Australia of like law enforcement and doctors 
forcefully stripping children from homes and like restraining parents just to send them all to camps. It's like, it's crazy. I saw, I saw, I saw one article where they took, you know, a a whole group of students and they filled up like an entire like football stadium, whatever of kids Mm -hmm. against their parents' will and just started vaccinating them. Yeah. Um, I I remember that. I posted that on my, I posted that on my old Instagram. And that's just, that's just nuts, you know? And like to think about like how civilized a society that we are, I, I would say in the West, um, to, to becoming something like that, something mm-hmm. that's like George or- Orwell's uh, 1984 or some dystopian future, like that's very prevalent and that can actually happen. And I think yeah. that goes back to the question of the family, the job, so on and so forth. Like, you know, people always say, you know, is it worth the risk? Like, is your kid being forced from your home and vaccinated by the government against your own will? Is that the time to stand up or is is your job too important? I can't lose my job because I'll pay the bills, so I can't resist. So this is just going to have to happen. Like, where where is so, our sense of morality with this? Do you do you know who Pastor Doug Wilson is? I do not. Okay, uh, I'd encourage you to look him up. Um, he, he has some things that I disagree with him theologically, but he has some pretty good things that I do agree with, and mm-hmm. about like regarding the topic of civil disobedience and being a Christian. And he says that it's uh, Christian's job to, uh, it's like a three-step process, right? It's um, to be vocal about it. And then um, after that is, you know, occurred and there's no other option, which is then to um, commit exodus. So just leave, try to take your families and get to a place where they cannot bother you. And then the last portion is arm resistance. So, um you know, it's a three-step process, and I'd say that, like, that's one, at least for me, that's where I, I kind of see it. I never, I think we can all agree we have one life, and you always want to treat it carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, if your quality of life is going to be in peril because your freedoms are going to be stripped away from you, then, you know, you have to be able to hopefully make the decision on what to do. Sure, sure. Anyway... Off the, yeah, that's, off that's that. pretty heavy, but yeah, <laughs> that was that was heavy really early. Yeah, I did not expect yeah, us to go that, down that. I didn't, I didn't mean to go down that rabbit hole. That's all right. That's fun stuff. Um, so back, I guess, kind of bringing it back in a little bit, uh, back to the civilian uh, training stuff. What uh, I, I think one of the big things that's really started to change over the past year, as far as like the the organized or tactical civilian goes, is the focus outside of shooting. Like a, there's a so yes. much prevalent yes. conversation outside of shooting now. I would say shoot. I think it's almost understanded at this point across the board that shooting is almost the least important thing. Yeah, I'd say it's a 10% skill. I'd say for the majority of things, I think there's other things that develop on like what it means to be a good Minuteman. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for me and my group, we shoot together every week and – Dang. Like we, yeah, I mean, we shoot once or twice a week together. Um, our JTAC ranch is probably one of the best shooting ranges in all of the U S I mean, we have a 2000 yard shooting bay. So for us, we, we regularly are extending our air 15s out to 600 meters plus. Um, nice. and we have confidence in that. Um, so we, we really try to uphold, um, marksmanship to a very, very high standard as prepared citizens and, um, you know, as Minutemen, mm-hmm. uh, just because that's our only weapon system that we have access to. Uh, but sure. at the end of the day, like we have, um, you know, the due diligence to be able to say like, okay, Hey, it's, you know, it's a lot more than just shooting, right? Like you have to be able to know how to like read terrain, read a map, land nav, mm-hmm. um, you know, basic field craft stuff. Me and my buddies are going on a camping trip, um, Friday. So we're going to be working on that. Um, you know, just basic stuff that you think that's just like generally applicable to survival is applicable to Minuteman stuff as well. For sure. And I, th- and that's something I drive home a lot with my guys and just, just generally speaking is that regardless at the end of the day, whether you have some sort of like administrative position within the group, like logistics or something, or you're a drone guy in the group or you're the comms yeah. guy in the group, whatever it is, like everybody needs to be that rifleman at the center. Everybody needs to yeah. know how to use that baseline weapon. They need to know their land nav. You need to know March. Like you just need to have some brilliance in the basics and you need to be able to revert back to that because you never know when you're going to be put back into just that line guy kind of position. Like, Hey, it's just time to just do, do the thing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, um, I totally agree. And I think what's cool about the civilian force too, is that we all come from different avenues of life. So we all have something to bring to the table. Absolutely. Um, you know, some dudes are mechanics, some dudes are radio operators, some dudes, uh, are drone operators. We have a guy, um, that we hang out with regularly, uh, who, you know, he, we, we shoot with him, but he's, he wrote the Florida drone code or assisted nice. in writing it. You know, um, so yeah, and he, he builds drones, develops them and stuff like that. He's an awesome guy. Very kind. Um, but you know, like I'm a pastor, um, I have buddies who work in architecture, engineering, construction, you know, the list goes on. And, uh, at the end of the day, uh, just being able to, I think the greatest strength that we have is just being able to look at the collection of people that we have and Mm -hmm. be like, okay, what are our skills? What are the things that we can bring to the table? If, you know, for the people that are veterans, can you teach us this? We can teach you that. And then we can become a holistic community. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody has a skill set to bring to the table always and forever. Oh, yeah. For uh, sure. That, that part is For without sure. a doubt. What are your thoughts uh, on the whole comms discussion? Where, where do you stand? <sighs> so I am, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty novice into comms. I mean, me, my, my immediate group, I'd say so like JTAC is like a shooting community. And then within that community, we have more like, you know, prepper minded people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say like in my immediate group, we are using bail fangs right now, but that's just because like what we have access to and we're training with it. Mm. I'd say that um, obviously if you are taking like legitimate steps to being like the Appalachian Rangers or even like a smaller uh, group than that, I would highly look into or hi- highly suggest investing into some type of encrypted communication because why not? I mean, if you have the tools and everything at your disposal to offer you better OPSEC and things like that, mm-hmm. I don't see why it would be a hindrance. Um, but you know, if it's just like a, uh, a finance issue or whatever, I'd say that like bail things still work. Um, obviously if you're talking about like fighting against a superior enemy and things like that, then maybe you shouldn't use those. Sure. That's, yeah. that's kind of my, my thought process on it. Yeah. My, and even at this point, if you would have asked me this question five years ago with my current mindset, I probably would have even said that Baofangs were like a little bit more acceptable to use somewhat loosely. Um, mm-hmm. But even now, like even civilian guys, whether you're talking like the Antifa crowd or even like oh, yeah. the, the Minuteman crowd, there's so many guys getting into like the scanner stuff and SDRs and all that kind of stuff like – it's 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 I I am confident in saying that if you're doing anything tactical, you, you almost just should not be using Balfangs. Period. Because I'd agree. I I'd, I'd agree. The, for this, sure, the, like on that point, the civilian capabilities is progressing so fast across so many yeah. fronts. That well, look we how have got- fast information is delivered. You know, like it's oh, just yeah. an ever adapting. It's it's the thing that I've learned about like the civilian side of things is because like we don't have a limit on what we can adapt to. Like if there was like a government bureaucracy, right? So we can find every avenue of information and then just adapt it. And then it's just like the new quote unquote meta, you know? Um, yeah, but like, I don't know. I, I think, I think Baofangs have a place in this, in the uh, sense of like, if you're going like disaster management stuff, mm-hmm. or if you're um, talking about just like your local group, you know, uh, we have like the Florida logistics group here, which helped out a lot. Um, after the recent hurricane that hit, um, you know, and so I could, I could, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I can see the, um, the impact of using bail fangs, like just being able to hand out, you know, between your family and stuff like that. But like, as you said, if you're doing anything like tactically minded, I would, I would go into, um, encryption because at the end of the day, brevity is not enough. Yeah. I mean, brevity, brevity will get you. The problem is with like brevity though. The idea of brevity is good. I think what some comms guys forget is that so many guys are comms illiterate in a sense that if you have to use brevity every time you hit your push to talk on your Baofeng, the 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 average guy is not going to remember that much brevity. Like there's oh no for sure, and you can't write down every piece of brevity on a piece of paper and put it in your pocket because if that gets compromised, then your whole comms plan is compromised. So there's a yin and yang I, that kind of comes with all of it. Yeah. And I remember, um, listening to, I forgot what podcast it was. It was either a podcast or how to be in one of my classes, but it was, um, we were, we were on this, uh, topic, of 
uh, how the Taliban just got used uh, used to um, the government looking into their communications mm-hmm. um, and like cracking their codes with brevity and stuff like that. But then what they the way that they got around it was just saying like, "Hey, I'll meet you at the place where I met my wife," because it was like so like the people that were working together were so intimately familiar with each other that only those two people know that, you know, Mm. um, I'd say like those things, but also like what's your data, uh, digital footprint, like, you know, like how often are you posting things and stuff like that too? Yeah. Um, I don't think that would really work in a 21st century, uh, environment like the U S. Um, but yeah, so just another, another pro for encryption. The most, uh, the most recent episode of the Civil Sentinel podcast, which is a great comms podcast that you guys should listen to if, if, you, if nobody ever has, they talked about your digital footprint for like DMR and P25 and uh, frequency bands and kind of how sometimes you can hide in some frequency bands because it's traffic so much and then how others you can't. I mean, it was a really good conversation. I implore everybody to go listen to it. Comms is one of those things where it's like, I mean, it truly takes a guy, if not a team of guys, to manage comms 24-7. Because, like, that's comms is one of those things where it's like, once you get into it, it doesn't, it does not stop. Like, all right, your group started with, like, VHF handhelds. Cool. Well, now you're doing encryption. Well, now you're realizing that you can't really talk that far with handhelds. So now you're looking at repeaters. Ah, Our repeater network around us isn't that great. So now we look into HF. Well, now I'm in HF. And now I'm looking into how to send, you know, data over HF and not just voice. Now I'm looking into man packs and now I'm looking back into repeaters because we did it all that. So now let's progress this. And then you're looking into signal intelligence and it's just, it's just one of those topics that just snowballs so fast. Yeah. It seems like a pretty big rabbit hole. So I'm curious. So for like a guy like me, um, like I said, I'm pretty novice into the whole comp thing. Um, so where would you recommend like I would start? So, for somebody getting that into is, like the topic of encryption and things like that. So, are you just talking about like how to decide what I need or like where am I buying stuff? Yeah, like what what would be like a baseline, I guess, to get into, um, sure. and then that way, like we can kind of develop as a group, you know, what like the stuff we would need and things like that. Sure. So, in the most simplest ways put, if you're you know a group of guys, regardless of your size, if you guys are all running Balfangs and you're like, you know what, we need to take our our handheld comps to the next level. We need to step up. In, in this area of focus, you have two options to really go on the digital side. You have DMR and you have P25. So DMR was originally made kind of like the commercial business market, and it's a little bit more civilian friendly. Um, the uh, entry is normally uh, a little bit cheaper depending on what you go with, uh, but depending on how tactically minded your comms may be it may or may not um you know fit your needs the best now you have the p25 side which was originally created for uh government agencies predominantly first responders and then it made its way into the military as well Um, so just two different sides of, of the digital world dmr radios cannot talk to p25 and p25 cannot talk to dmr just so everybody listening understands that now p25 radios um, there is a ton of surplus radios on the market still standing. It started to get more expensive, but there's plenty of surplus on the market. Another thing that comes with this kind of stuff is that your uh, stuff like your EF Johnsons, your XTS 5000s, things like that um, are normally just really, really ruggedized. Like they're tough radios. Like these XTS 5000s are monsters. Yeah, imagine like there's made to with hand, like with handle a yeah. bunch of abuse. And that's the thing when you get into with government surplus is that you know that those radios yeah. were specifically made to take the beating. Where and that's not saying that yeah. DMR radios aren't also ruggedized by any sense, but I mean you, when you're buying government surplus that means you at one point you were buying what was the expectation of a professional user. And I think right, that sure. that's a big thing that people have to consider. Um, so anyway, so you've picked, yeah, DMR. I mean, and, and that's a, that's a thing too. Like you want to, you want to invest in things that are going to last, especially when you're talking about like, I guess group infrastructure is basically you and your buddies chipping in X amount of money per month. And you want to make sure you're investing in quality kit. That's not going to break on you all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so you've picked 
your DMR or P25 option. Now it's like, all right, what encryption? Uh, it's so easy at this point to for AES-256 encryption to just be your standard because um, it is the golden standard when it comes to encryption. You have things like DES and stuff like that, but pretty much any P25 or, or DMR radio you're going to get that has um, encryption, most of them have AES-256 encryption capabilities, whether it's it's because you, they either come with it or you have to add a piece of hardware to it. It's going to come with it. So if you if you have the capability, you might as well just take it to the top tier to begin with. Um, you can get, okay. um, you have two options. You can kind of go the cheaper route and get all of the pieces you need um, from, uh, I believe it's called Omaha or, or whatever it is. You can get the KFD shields. Um you get them from them. I think the total price of getting everything kind of comes up to like 150 and now you can load encryption with a pr- proper software or you can go to Signet's okay. uh, uh, Instagram channel for those that are familiar with him and he sells a kit that comes in a Pelican case for I think 300 and it's everything you need. It's the cables, the KFD shield, um, the software, so on and so forth. So it just kind of depends where your budget's at. Both are plausible. Um, it's just, you know, sure. do I want to put in more work and kind of put this together myself or do I want to have, pay somebody to just give me everything I need off the bat? Um, and I guess another big thing you should decide too that you need to discuss after you figured out DMR versus P, uh, P25 is am I going to use um, VHF or UHF or the higher 7800 uh, megahertz band? Now, right. I always tell people to not even worry about the 7800 megahertz band as a primary form of communication because almost all urban and suburban first responders at this point are on the 7800 megahertz band and unless you want to be doing is messing with their stuff. Yeah, everything is tied up. You, the FCC will yeah. almost never mess with you until you start messing around with and interfering with first responder communications. Yeah, that, to me, that makes sense, though. That's like, you know, <laughs> I, I'd see why they'd uh, jump on you for that. Yeah. So that brings yeah. you down to VHF or UHF, uh, right? the lower band UHF. Um, yeah. For most people, unless you are like specifically in an urban environment, um, I usually tell guys to stick with VHF. VHF is a little bit more, um, a little bit more friendly to you know, some gently rolling hills, woods, stuff like that. Whereas UHF normally performs better in areas with a lot of concrete and buildings and stuff like that. And that's not always the case. There is exceptions, but generally speaking, that's a, that's a good rule to follow. So most guys will normally go with VHF. Um, okay. And, cool. and then past that, uh, past that, it's like, all right, what, what, are, what are our expectations of these handhelds? Are we going to utilize... Uh, local repeater networks? If so, are all of my repeaters analog um, or are they digital capable? Am I going to look into setting up my uh, my own repeater? Say one of your guys in your group owns like a business right in the middle of town and it's like a few miles from everybody and you convince him like, hey man, can we put a repeater on your roof? And he's like, yeah, sure, why not? So then the group invests into what is it, an expensive repeater system. Um, but now you guys have your own repeater. Or do you just say, hey, our handhelds are only for when we're in line of sight of each other. Uh, anything past that, we're going to try and tackle comms from another front. I'm going to use HF or I'm going to start looking into man packs, whatever it might be. What, do you, uh, what are your thoughts on sat phones? So on the civilian side, uh, I do not have much experience with sat phones. Okay. So I couldn't even tell, like I, I couldn't even tell you if there's a difference really between civilian sat phones and military sat phones. Right. Um, I've, we've talked about it a couple times with our guys. We've just essentially decided that investing into our own infrastructure to support VHF and then also getting more into HF radio is more worth it than putting money into sat phones. Okay, I can see that. I was just thinking for more of like a, I guess like your pace plan that you're establishing as like uh, an ulterior or, you know, an additional form of communication. Sure. Yeah. Um, Because I know one thing, uh, like, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so 
uh, being in disaster management, we looked at um, uh, Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest uh, problems that were occurring there was just the lack of communication. Like, because their power is out for a year, they could not communicate with anything. And I think one person ended up having a sat phone, and that really changed the whole dynamic of their situation. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, as far as, like, the emergency comms go for, like, natural disasters and stuff like that, I would yeah. say, yeah, like, sat phones is, is, a, is, like a, is a great option. Um, yeah, comms is, comms is a wild field, man. And it yeah, takes, I'm, I'm it takes a lot of time. In it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, well, I got homework to look at now, so that's good. Yeah. I'm in the process. So there's an, on the ECT website, there is a, a new section that's basically just called preparedness. And there's basically going to be a ton of subcategories for everything that does not involve shooting. So there's oh, going to cool. be like it's it's basically going to be like a a constantly updated blog in a sense. Like there's going to be right a section on. for communications. There's going to be a section for uh, like homesteading and gardening, canning, yeah. just like everything that's not shooting that kind of pertains to the Minuteman. It's just going to constantly be updated, constantly grow. And that's, and that's something that we're also trying to do with contingency co too. Um, is start dropping more. Uh, knowledge facts like that like hudson um the other owner of contingency co he is into homesteading and things like that i'm trying to get into homesteading as well mm-hmm. um at least urban homesteading um you know just basic stuff that can help out in a pinch but he's you know planting gardens and has acres like an acre of land that he can really work on and stuff like that so nice yeah i mean that's, that's so really much. cool though man that's that's yeah. awesome yeah i mean like like i said before shooting is such a it's it's really good to have, like, right, like, as we both said, at the end of the day, everybody's like a rifleman at their base, mm-hmm. um, but everybody has to know how to do different skills. That's sure. um, only ten percent of the whole equation. Sometimes I forget that I can't do everything, no matter how hard I think I can. Yeah, but you know what, though, I've learned. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to be in a lot of leadership positions at a very young age, mm-hmm. uh, just through church and things like that. But I've learned that uh, leadership is a lot of just finding what people are really good at and then putting them in places that they're going to excel to get the best result. Absolutely. Yeah. Specifically for us on like the civilian community side, if you think all of your guys are going to be these in shape rock stars that are just door kicking infantrymen, you are completely wrong. You are a hundred percent wrong. A hundred percent wrong. You have to like, you have, to, you have to take with what you got, right? And, you know, some people have medical issues and other things that hurt, like hold them back, but they can still excel in other things. Sure. Yeah. And you got to find where guys are strong and put them in a position that's going to not only be good for them, but, you know, good for, you know, everybody as a whole. Like, you yeah. know, what's the better, what were they going to thrive in the group at, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, especially like, honestly, like people who are in finance and stuff, like not for nothing, but, uh, the U S military uses a lot of administrative personnel to support, you know, infantry guys. Oh, absolutely. and, uh, you know, you need someone to run Excel sheets or to keep track of things that you have and to find ways to, um, set up bartering negotiations and other things like that too. So yeah, not everybody if, needs to be a door kicker. Not everybody needs to be a shooter. You just gotta, you gotta know the basics. Yeah. If you like, let's say, you know, times have deescalated really badly and, you know, recruiting has bumped up well. Say you're a group of, you know, 40 guys in your, like, three-county radius. You're yeah. you're not going to be able to just put all 40 guys into some sort of field position as riflemen. You're going to get maybe two squads out of those guys, and the rest are going to be some level of support personnel. Guys that run some sort of mobile talk, guys that are literally dedicated just to running supplies in some sense or going and bartering and trying to get supplies from other guys, guys that run field hospitals and casualty collection points. Uh, Do you follow, you follow Soil? I I hope I'm saying his name right. Soil Archive on Instagram. You follow him? Um, S-O-L-I-A-T. He, he put out this awesome post on um, Minuteman Logistic Groups. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's about like, you know, hunter, uh, you know, people who excel in hunter gathering collection, uh, for things like that, uh, procurement of food, 
and uh, you know people who cook and things like that. Like, they all have their own place within the, the totality of you know surviving. Mm-hmm. So, I, I thought it was a really cool post. I'll send it to you afterwards. Yeah, send it to me so I can look up this guy's page. Yeah, yeah, he, he's definitely worth following. He's a he's a cool dude. Hell yeah. yeah. And and logistics has been another huge topic of of conversation outside comms. Recently. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know. Uh, not for nothing. Like I really love the whole like tactical car vids and things like that. But if you don't have enough uh, spare parts lying around, you can't just like create those out of thin air. No. Right. So like you need something to support your vehicles. You need something to support your men. You need something to support the clothes that you're going to burn through is everything has a shelf life. You know, it's infra- the reason why America is the dominant, um, military power in the United States is because they can, uh, refuel mid flight oh, yeah. and get to a, a position without having to land. You know what I'm saying? So, and as civilians, like we have to kind of think about that, like, okay, well, we obviously don't have that. So what are ways that we can create infrastructure to support logistical capability? There was a super cool video I watched one time that basically broke down the two sides of the Cold War and their efforts, being the U.S. and the USSR. And it talked about how the USSR put all of its money basically into tank brigades, the space program, and nuclear weapons. And the Mm -hmm. U.S. did that a little bit, but the U.S. invested in uh, its Navy heavily. It invested into building bases all over the world in allied countries. Right, wrong, or indifferent, agree with it, whatever it might be. That's what they did. That and makes sense. They basically created a force that can be supplied from any corner of the world within a day's notice. And at all of these bases, they built these logistical hubs of just massive amounts of ammo and uniforms and gear and spare vehicles. I mean, that's why the military has so many vehicles. And when like we left Afghanistan, the military was just like, eh, we'll just leave these yeah, thousands of vehicles here. Yeah. It's because we just have them everywhere sitting in warehouses all the time. Now, whether they're in yeah, the best I mean, condition just, or not is another question. We're going to talk about bulletproofing your, uh, like bulletproofing your infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, dude, you know how like, I, I, dude, I, I, I was so upset when they left all that kit over there in Afghanistan. Like, not, not, obviously, I know that, like, we can financially handle it. Not for that, but, like, I'm a good citizen. Why not, like, give it to me instead of these Taliban dudes? I was just, like, so frustrating. I was like, I would love to have at least, like, a, a free pair of knobs or something like that, you know? But just don't work like that. No, yeah. And that's, and that's kind of something you can, although there's tons of things you could judge about the Ukraine Russian war. Is that in the beginning, Russia went into Ukraine not thinking it was going to need prolonged logistics. And while it's initial, if Russia would have, in my opinion, and I'm no you know, 20-year military analyst, retired, blah, blah, blah. But if you really look at the initial invasion of Ukraine in the first two weeks, Russia could have in my opinion, locked down Ukraine within the month if after the initial invasion they had logistics. Because they, the battle around Kiev was almost, you know, done, complete, kaput. Because the Russians had secured so much space so fast and they had, you know, taken so many key positions. The problem was these, these, you know, well-trained, well-equipped units that went into this deep terrain had no logistics that, that backed it. And the the battle for the Kiev airport is one of the biggest examples of that because uh, the airborne infantry, Russian airborne infantry that attacked the airport did did take they took the airport so well. They lost it for a temporary period of time to the local resistance, but then they regained it. But they couldn't hold it because they had no logistical support at all. And they eventually had to abandon their position to march north just to get back to some level of sustainment. Yeah, and at the end of the day, like if you can't, uh, if you can't keep your boys fed, well armed, you're going to lose it. You know, and so logistics definitely helps with that. Um, and for anybody to say that that doesn't matter is 
that has a lot to learn, I'd say. Absolutely. But that is why we study other people's mistakes because you learn something. Yep. Yep. That's what history and training is for. Figure all that stuff out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, the concept of logistics is just like, it's crazy because it's, it, it requires a lot of moving parts and everybody to be on the same page. If you don't, if your group isn't on the same page, you're not going to be able to get a lot of things done, especially when, you know, uh, I guess the way I'm trying to say this is that like, you know, obviously civilians are not professional fighters, right? Um, this is like, we were take, we take time out of our day to, to hone this craft. Um, but we're utilizing our own resources at the end of the day to do that. And, um, it can very quickly like burden people if they're not careful or like wise in their spending and building their own infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So I guess like something that I would always recommend is just like, make sure your group is on board with things. If you are a te- like a team leader or you're taking like an administrative position in your group, uh, really like come to everybody with like the understanding, like, Hey, we need to utilize our resources and our assets to the best capability that we can. Yeah. And there's so much to say about, you know, you as an individual team leader, making sure that your guys are squared away just on the individual level. Do my guys have their yeah, local maps printed? Sure. Are their packs packed to the SOP? Um, is their rifle zeroed? And is their vehicle in good condition to travel? Like that alone provides a magnificent asset. Because if you can't even get out the door, it doesn't matter how hard you trained or how much money you spent on stuff. If you're not, if you, if you're not organized at the first step, everything else is, is downhill from there. Oh yeah, for sure. Like if you, you know, we, we talked about like another reason for physical fitness, right? Like if you can't even, uh, get to the fight in the first place because you're too tired, you know, walking three or five or rucking three or five miles, then you're not going to be much of an asset anyways. It's the same thing with like your vehicle, you know, everything else that goes into prepping, like making sure that, um, you know, all of your, your go bag is ready to go. All of your kit is squared away. Um, your rifle is like well-maintained, well-zeroed, you know, you have a good zero on it, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause those little things, they add up and they matter. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. Oh man. So what, uh, kind of bringing it back around to contingency company, uh, what do people have to look forward to with that? Okay, is there anything you can dilute? Yeah, I'll dive a little bit. Uh, so we are planning on opening up a little web store here soon, uh, so we can get some stuff going for that. Yep, uh, we're really big into media side of things. Um, we're trying to get more quality pictures coming out. Um, we really want to be able to get people's attention to stop and look at what we're posting. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, Instagram is just very like you just like a, a scroll fiend sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we really want to focus on like the quality pictures that captivate people's attention and then uh some videos that we're going to be releasing or things going to be having to do with like drones and things like that um drone evasion uh how drones are utilized um one of the drones that we actually have has uh night vision and a thermal camera on them too yeah so we're going to be trying to yeah so we're going to be playing hide and seek in the woods with uh you know thermal drones and things like that just to see like how like how much capability you can actually get out of these um you know potentially what what you would look like under a thermal camera sure that's awesome yeah drones have changed dramatically so, so much <laughs> i mean just so much and like the side we yeah. have a couple guys with drones and my local guys and the ability of these drones that are the size of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches is crazy Insane. and even the video and- quality that comes out of them at you know, 300 feet is astonishing. And what's, what's great about those two is that like, you can just have someone pack a tiny drone and then increase your like capability by an exponential amount. I mean, you know, obviously you have to develop the SOPs to be able to, you know, from where it needs to take off and then where it needs to land. So it doesn't get traced back to you, but just being able to send out a drone real quickly to get some, uh, quick recon of like an area, um, I think that would be pretty important. Yeah. And and tactical sense aside, the abilities of being able to implement drones from like 
the humanitarian and natural disaster side is yeah, also sure. huge. I mean, it's huge. Hey, this building's collapsed and we can't climb over it. We need to see what's on the other side of it. Just send a drone over. Yeah. The, this, this road yeah. I'm traveling on, you know, the tornado through every tree on this road, you know, over top of it. Let me fly this drone a quarter mile down the road to check those houses we were on our way to just to see if there's anybody in the yard waiting for help. Like, I mean, just, yeah, exactly. The, dr- the drones have magnificent possibilities. For sure, dude. For sure. And they're not that expensive. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's an expense, just like all things are. But like, in the grand scheme of things, like, a decent drone that fits in a lunchbox that you could put in your pack is not that much. Well, no, and, and I think that goes back to, like, setting up infrastructure and, you know, group of resources, right? Like, what are we investing our, our coin in? Right. Mm-hmm. Like what are the things that we're going to do that we're going to take our hard on money to better equip our group and to, you know, uh, bulletproof our situations that we go into mm-hmm. things like investing in comms and drones. And, uh, like you said, repeaters, uh, stretchers for, um, for medical personnel, right? Like tents, yeah. things like that. Um, you know, that, like that, that all matters. The very first group purchase that my local guys, we ever made as a group that we came together and we bought, was a talent to North American field stretcher. And nice. I'm, it may seem in, insignificant at I, times because it really only has one purpose, but when it's time for that purpose to, you know, it's time to fulfill I, that purpose. It's invaluable. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've tried buddy dragging, uh, one of my buddies who like in full kit before. And I gotta tell you that is not fun. No. Uh, your forearms are screaming after like 20 yards. Yeah, it's, so, all, it's already yeah. a chore to move somebody that's on a proper stretcher, let alone trying to move somebody yeah. with no stretcher or no quick litter or anything like that. Yeah. And I mean, but, that goes back to like the, the planning side of things too, I think. Like if you're not planning for casualties or for people to get injured and stuff, then you're you're not planning uh, the right way. Mm-hmm. And that all so goes back to something logistics. you should definitely invest in. Yeah. Yeah, it goes to back to logistics. Yeah. Oh, we're about to, we're about to go. You know, conduct this. You know, whatever recovery op. You know, we sent out. Uh, you know, a a, a, a a fire team to go get supplies from this location, and something happened to them. So we're gonna go look for them. Let me walk over to the logistics truck and sign out. You know, a field litter real quick. Yep, because we might need that. You know, just little yeah, things like sure. that that goes into the thinking that guys need to think about more. Yeah. And then I'd say, like, another thing is, like, being able to utilize the people that you have at your disposal. Like, if you have a doctor in your family, that goes a long way. Um, if you have, uh, you know, paramedics and things like that in your community, those go a long way because those people become uh, medics. Your doctors can become field doctors. Surgeons can become field surgeons, things like that, like. Not for nothing, like a skill that I will probably never learn how to do or know how to do is a repair of lung tissue, like after it's been compromised to like that degree, mm-hmm. you know, um, going back to like the logistics thing, like if you want to keep your guys alive, like we're, we're going out with play carriers and rifles and stuff like that, expecting to possibly get into contact and then someone was to get hurt like that, you know, there's not really much you can do for them outside of TCC, mm-hmm. um, you know, but that's really only meant to prolong people's life. So you need some type of recovery surgery to get that done. And, that's and if you don't have the, uh, the medical infrastructure to back your guys up, it's going to be pretty rough. And that's the thing I've always told people is like, even with the implementation of field medics into, you know, your community group, even if they have really good gear and you guys made sure that you had squared away medical bags at the end of the day, it, it, uh, it, it it won't how should i say this there's only so it, much a field doc it, can do for you well, like, dude it, i think uh the amount of the amount of infrastructure that goes into heal uh, to repairing one gunshot victim is is like thousands of dollars worth of medical equipment mm-hmm. and personnel you know like, and it, uh like in now and like that's you know we obviously have the the luxury of being in like a a civil society that mm-hmm. can you know facilitate that but when you're talking about you don't have power, you know, you don't have um, the same luggeries that you do, like a, a full-fledged working hospital and things like that, 
you gotta you gotta be very careful with the uh, I, I guess the missions you choose to go on and um you know making sure that your your the people that you have in your corner are up to snuff on their trauma medicine yeah and really like the most significant skill a field doc can really have is being able to to perform field transfusions and even that is just a band-aid on the wound for the time being like exactly if you don't fix that actual place where the bleeding occurred it doesn't matter how much blood especially for like an internal bleeding issue like you took a gut shot or uh, a shot into the pleural space something like that doesn't matter how much blood i put into you if it's just constantly going to waste that that's only it's only temporary you you need a doctor yeah or what what do you do if like someone gets a subdural hematoma like they hit their head too hard you know what i mean and they're they're bleeding out of their eyeballs you don't know what's going on with them, you know. Like you need that advanced personnel to help you with that. Like, I, like I said, like field medicine and stuff like that, it is important, and I'm not saying it's not, but it just extends the golden hour. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, PJs, they're awesome. Like they're like the coolest dudes ever. Um, they get in, like save everybody, but they're, again, they're still taking them to um, a place where they can get advanced medical care and medical infrastructure is super important. So, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's just there's so much things that you think about. It's like, dude, I know, man. Like, it's just like you think about like everything that you would need to like get your community up to snuff, and then it's like that one thing that hits you. Like, dang, I just I don't have that yet. Oh, that's me on every topic all of the time. Like, if I had, if if you, if I could get about four hundred dudes and a five hundred thousand dollar budget, I could, I could really set us up for success. You know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. You better hope those 400 dudes are really happy with your leadership and don't decide to turn on you. That is true. That's a that's a quick way to the French guillotine. Yes, sir. And then uh, that's also I, I'd say another thing about the Minuteman thing is being a good citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really making sure that you're invested in your community and your community's invested in you. Uh, because when push comes to shove, people are going to remember things. My uh, mother-in-law told me a story about. Um, during one of the early flood, uh, hurricanes in Florida, everybody's power went out and this one guy had a generator and their power was only out for like two or three days. But you know, people were getting pissed off at him because he wouldn't let them use his, uh, use his generator for anything. And they were getting really upset, but then the power turned back on. So then everybody went back to normal, but they still hold resentment against them to that day. Now, can you imagine if that would have gone on for two weeks? Sure. You know, like we saw people in COVID getting, getting stabbed and stuff over toilet paper. What do you think that we're going to do when there's no power? Mm-hmm. You know, um, gasoline is like, you have no more gas for your car. You have no power to keep your mom's dialysis machine going. Like those things, people, people get desperate very quickly. Oh, for sure. And 100%. Uh, I think, I think now is the time to really invest in your local communities and like know people at least on a somewhat like first name basis, you know, just kind of, Check in with people. Like if you go to your town hall meetings, you know, introduce yourself to your precinct, um, your local precinct that you have, you know, give your cops donuts and stuff because you want to have good relationships with those people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So much to do. So little time, even less money. Yeah. At least for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I get you, man. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just finding the resources to do it is a lot too. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, buddy, was there anything else you uh, you kind of wanted to hit on? No, nah, man. I'd just say, like, you know, uh, I'd say really take a look at, um, I guess, you know, what drives logistics, which is infrastructure. So try to invest in things that are going to protect your, your home. Mm-hmm. So that way you can help other people, like solar panels, if you can, like even small ones, um, backup generators, things like that to keep the power on. Um, and then invest in, like, basic commodities that we take for granted today, like over the counter medications. Um, if you can stock up on antibiotics. Yeah. If I, I have a, I have a lot of people in my family with health issues. So for us, it's super important that we have power. We have, um, you know, excess medication that they need and things like that. Because once all that stuff goes out, then the clock is going to start ticking. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one thing I've, you know, I'm always telling guys is like, there's only so much you can do as a group to prepare the yeah. group. But when it comes to like your individual family's, uh, you know, needs in a sense, especially when it comes to medical, like that's on you. If you show up to the party and you failed to 
prepare your family for whatever item is not in stock anymore or medicine is not in stock anymore, that's on you. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think everybody's first responsibility is to take care of their family and then their external community second. You know, because um, if you can't take care of your own family, you're not going to be able to ca- take care of anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yeah, so that's what I'd say. And then uh, just keep training and uh, be the best rifleman you could be. Expand your skill. Don't be afraid to uh, to try new things uh, training-wise. You know, that's what training's for is to make the mistakes there. That way you don't make them out where it actually matters. For sure. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. Is yeah, was, thank you for having me. Pleasure. Man. We've been we've been chatting a little bit more uh, recently, so I'm glad we were able to, to get on here and just kind of generally talk about the the things that matter. Yeah, well, whenever you want to have me on, man, I'll be uh, more than willing. So awesome, guys. I'll have his uh, his Instagram information and uh, contingency company's uh, information in the in the bio down below. Go give him a follow and some support and check them out. And as always, guys, train hard, train often. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward Shrink the numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down